As an introduction, I'd like you to notice a couple of your verses from Genesis chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 10, God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called a seas, and God saw it was good. Then you see again, verse 12, God does something more than he says he saw it was good. Verse 18, again, it was good. 21, it was good. Verse 25, it was good. Then when he made man at the end of the six days, he saw it and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. So turn to your neighbor and say, very good. You're looking very good today. Very good. Now, uh, it raises a question. When he made a part and he said it was good, but when he finished with man and the whole, he said, very good. But what is it that he didn't say? He didn't say it's perfect. He said it's very good. So turn to your neighbor and just say, don't even think about it. (laughs) You're not perfect. You're not perfect. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. Hold it. There's another part to it. It's chapter 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. By the way, Wednesday night's message on the Sabbath, that was a a very good message. Uh, Wednesday night it was. It was really good. Uh, So I'm sure not everybody... uh, was here, so uh, I, I, I refer you to the to the website and listen if you can. Now uh, here is the point: Does God have to rest? No, I think He's God. I mean, I don't think their resting is like. Why is it written that He entered into His rest? Why Why is that written there? Is God always resting? In one sense, he is God. He's satisfied with himself. He's satisfied in the Trinity with the Son, the Holy Spirit. They've always had communion and love. They are all infinitely capable, thoroughly powerful. But it does say that he said said it was very good, and then he entered the rest. And from there, I'd like to suggest something. And that is that you and I should look at life and say it's very good. Though we are under a curse, though we have cemeteries and graveyards and police stations, and we have fear and we have trouble and sometimes guilt and insecurity, But God not only made the world and said it was very good, but he came as the Christ. And when Christ died on the cross, what were almost the very last words he said that are very well known to us in this ministry? What were the words? It is finished. It is finished. What is finished? When Christ was 12 years old in the Gospel of Luke, the first words he said, Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Very first words, I am about my father's business. Very last words, it is finished. What is finished? My father's business. What was the father's business but to redeem us, to save us? To shed his blood, to atone for our sin. To give Christ to be the atonement, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. 
to give us a new beginning, that we would be born of his spirit, born of God, that Christ would come in us so we would not die, John eleven twenty five. Christ came so hey, we could say it this way. These are my words, but follow it with me. That when Christ died, God could say, it is very good. The sacrifice of the Son of God is even above and beyond that. Infinitely, incredibly meaningful to all of us. We are saved by the blood. We are redeemed by God's grace. You are in the kingdom of God because of Christ. No other reason. Christ did it. And now the Father is resting in the finished work, and so are we. Quick, look, quickly turn to Hebrews 4 with me, or look at it up on the screen. And um, you can uh, read those exact words. We have entered into his rest. Chapter 4. <clears throat> Verse uh, 9. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Have you ever been on a vacation and you didn't really get the rest you wanted? You were camping out and it was raining every day? The hotel had, you know, and, and so on. We all have those stories. Have you ever said in the end of the weekend, at the end of the week, I need to get some rest this weekend? And uh, you tried and maybe slept and did everything you could, but somehow you were awake at night or troubled in your heart or something bothered you. There was a nagging, nagging, nagging feeling of something missing, something not done, something that is broken, something like that. Yes. So what should we do? Enter into his rest where he says it's very good in creation and in redemption. He says it is finished. Now we enter into a rest that is transcendental. If you allow me to use that philosophical term. That world that, that, that world that is behind this one. This one is like a, a curtain. It's like a curtain and then there is, there is the reality behind this world where you find rest. There is the reality that is in the world, behind it, in it. That reality that Christ showed us. Because man, touch and feel me. A spirit does not have flesh and bones. Christ had flesh and bones, but he was also spirit. He ascended through the air. He came into this world, went through the door, and said to the disciples, Peace be unto you. He came to give us peace and rest. For he that is entered into his rest, verse 10, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. There it is. There's the parallel. There's the meaning. God said it's very good and he entered into his rest. And like it's done, he's finished. And he says, you are to enter into my rest the rest that I have for you. you Don't worry about it. I got you covered. The rest where uh, take a nap, take it easy, uh, slow down, be quiet, trust me, seek me, you will find me. I am for you, not against you. I give you food. I, I give you light. I give you a doorway. There's no way out. There's no way out. But Christ is the door. He is the way out. He is the answer for our lives. So we've gathered together today to celebrate that like we do all the time when we assemble. I want you to enjoy the service today and hear something from the Spirit say to you, I am for you. I am for you. 
I am your friend. I am your teacher. I am your counselor. I am your comforter. I am your savior. I am your father. I am for you. I am not against you. I am for you. Enter into my rest, the rest that I made for you. I remember when Jesus was challenged on the Sabbath, he didn't deny a Sabbath. He just said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. He's saying the whole idea behind it was for man to enter into rest. And of course, it evades some people and they struggle with it all their lives. But you and I have Christ and he is our Sabbath. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. All right, would you turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Habakkuk this morning. Uh, I decided some months ago that I would start teaching from the minor prophets uh, because, to be honest, frankly, we don't do a lot of that teaching from minor prophets. Uh, But I, I know there's treasure there and Sometimes we refer to Hosea, Malachi, uh, usually those two books. And then um, I want want to cover some of them, and Habakkuk is one for this morning. It's three chapters long. It's not very long, but it's very profound. And we will kind of go through the book and make a couple points about it. And so uh, by the end of the sermon, I think in a few minutes, you will say, wow, I, I, I got it. I think I got something from that book called Habakkuk. So that's our goal. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have gathered in your name to hear from you, to hear a word from this prophet with application for our our lives and minister to us where we are at. In our everyday life, our common everyday life at home where we sleep, where we eat, we talk, we listen, where we learn and put things together in our hearts and our minds to believe you and trust you, to grow and not be tossed to and fro by, by the winds of our culture and the winds of the times, but be rooted and grounded in our faith that we could finish our course with joy. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to make one point very early on in Titus uh, 3, verse 5, that you are regenerated. This is... Important for you to know and understand Titus 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration. So you have that word, regeneration. And from that root, uh, you have... Many words, uh, genetics, uh, you have generation, um, uh, genus in classification of living things. Regeneration means that you are born of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Born of the Spirit, 
born again in John 3, verse 5. You have your first birth, Galatians 1, 15, 16. God, Paul said, God was there when he separated me from my mother's womb, and then he saved me by his grace. Two births, mother's womb, first birth, regenerated by his mercy, by the renewing of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3, verse 5. So in a very real way, you were not a believer, as it was in my, my case. I was not a believer. I lived according to the world that I lived in. The culture had a big influence on me. Uh, I believed in evolution. I um, doubted uh, God. There were many religions in the world. How could you know which is the right one? Um, many uh, ethical questions, uh, relativism, and all of the popular ways of thinking that people have by nature. But when you are regenerated, you get new ears, new heart. You start to listen. And what you are listening to is Christ. You want to hear what Christ is saying. So Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You hear it. You start to believe that. Is that true? Christ. And then something interesting happens. You don't know it, but you end up, you know, you can have, if you ask directions for to go to somewhere and you've got a map, like that's one way to get somewhere. The other one is to have a guide. And sometimes the terrain is so difficult that you don't need a map as much as you need a person. You need a guide. Well, I'd rather have a map. Well, do the best you can with the map. But when you get to that part that's called swamp, I think you need a guide. And when you get to that part called doubt, I think you need a guide. And when you get to that part where fear or unbelief, or depression, I think you need a guide. So when you are born again, this is the gift of God to you. He gives you the Holy Spirit to be the way, the truth, and the life, the guide. And when you get to a part and he goes, I, I, where do we go now? Just follow me. Just follow me. Have you ever heard that as a kid? Don't, don't let go of my pant leg. Just follow me through the crowd. Remember that? Just follow me. I don't want to follow anybody. Well, then you're going to follow somebody. You will be following somebody. You will. But the great, great gift that you have is your capacity to hear sounds. Let's turn there for a minute. Hebrews 5. I like this part. And I forget who made the analogy, but um, in a week or a little more, we'll be in Budapest. And um, I, I'm not a language person. Like, I don't learn languages easily. But I did learn some Hungarian and uh, when you hear another language, it's kind of all, it all blends together. But one of the things about listening to another language is try to hear when a word ends and another word starts. You try to separate the sounds. You try to distinguish words. You try to, is that a word? Like, Ugh. is that a word? Or is he in pain? You know, uh, you, you have to get the ear for it. You have to learn by hearing and get the ear for it and start to realize that this language really does work. And they really are talking this language. Okay. In a similar way, when you are born again, you start to listen. And you start to listen to what the Bible is saying. And you start to listen to others 
and you actually have a guide in life. I wouldn't say that God hands you a map as, as much as to say that he gives you a guide and you're able to hear the words. You're able to hear what he is saying. You're able to follow him. So this is written here in Hebrews 5, verses 12 to 14. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, the very fundamentals of God's oracles or his messages, his words. You have to learn them again. You should be a teacher but you need to go back to school and learn it again. And by the way, I, I've been there. I don't mind that at all. I can go back to school. I want to learn it all over again. That's fine with me. Because it's my guide. My guide is uh, directing my life. Because life is not easy. You know, always for everybody. But it's all, all, you know, sometimes it is. But then you hit a wall. You know, something happens and so on. So here we have verse 12. You, you could be a teacher, but you have to go back and learn it all over again. And, and again, I want to say that's okay with me as long as I'm hearing the right voice. As long as I'm hearing the good stuff. As long as I'm understanding what is being said. Maybe when I hear it the second or the third or fourth time, it's going to stick. You know, maybe it'll stick now. Verse 13. No, I'm sorry, 12. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. Now, there's a, an analogy there for uh, food. A baby eats how often in a day, like a, an infant, a uh, uh, you know, six months old, one year old, how, how often do they eat? Or even, what is it, an hour and a half, two hours, three hours they eat. When they grow up and they eat more solid, they can sleep through the night. They eat solid food three hours later, four hours later, they are hungry. But when you're eating milk, then it's like more, you know, it's shorter intervals and also not the sustenance that you need to build your your bulk, your mass as an adult. So verse 13, everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. Like the words kind of, you know, the words are, yeah, 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 okay, oh, that's the, oh, yeah, okay. But no, you you, you got to learn to hear, verse 13. If you are unskillful, unskillful, he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who reason by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. I think it goes this way. I get to hear it, and I hear it again, and I start to hear it, and then it starts to happen that you actually can separate the words, you hear it, and it makes sense, and you start to process what is said. And I got to be honest, I do think it's another language. There are people that could come in here and listen, and they go, I have no idea what he's talking about. Maybe that's happened to you. It happened to me when I, I became a believer. I didn't know what he was talking about. He says, John 1, verse 12. Like, I don't know what that means. Or redemption, or the finished work, or righteousness, or justification, those words. So now you, you start to learn, and as your guide guides you, you start to realize 
what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. You start to realize it. And it's, it's actually good. It's encouraging you. That's poison. I, that's not good. I, I don't do that. I don't want that. I'm not looking at that. I'm not listening to that. No, that's okay. Thank you very much. No, I'm not part of No, I don't do that. Has that ever happened to you? That it came out of your heart like you found a way of living and listening where you actually understood another language that is actually guiding you in a useful life, and you become skillful in discerning what is good and what is evil. Isn't that amazing? You start to say, you know, it's okay. I'm not fighting with that. I just am avoiding that thing. That thing doesn't edify. It's not good for me. I don't care about it. You know, that kind of thing. Something, something in your heart. It has to do with books you read also. Like I read a book and when I, I, I read it for 20 minutes and I find that, you know, this is edifying and I, I, I continue reading it. If it isn't edifying in 20 minutes, I don't have time for it. I'm not saying it's not good. I just don't know what it is. It's not hitting me. It's not, I'm not getting it. So it is with many things, conversations with people. Uh, things you read, a movie. Uh, could you walk out of a movie theater? Could you turn off the, uh, the, uh, whatever this, the devices that you have? Can you walk away from something that is not, it just doesn't have that sound and that, that idea. Okay. So that's a, not my message, but that's what came out just now. <laughs> so go back to our theme and it's Habakkuk. And I want to make a couple, three points, and uh, you go home with being able to say, I, I learned a little bit about Habakkuk today. Your mother will call you up and say, what you, would you learn at church? And, and you'll say, I, I learned about Habakkuk. She said, Habakkuk what? We don't smoke tobacco. What did you learn? Habakkuk. Okay, so here we go. All right, being a little silly. Here's the prophet, Habakkuk. Most, I think he's the only prophet that that had this kind of a message, and it was this one. Usually the prophet is prophesying about the nation, about the disappointment God has with the people. And usually it's about them. But this is different. This is not about the nation Israel. It's more a complaint to God. And Habakkuk has this problem. God, I know you are a righteous God. You love Israel. You care about Israel. Why are you sending an evil nation? Here, I'll sketch that in here. Here's here's an evil nation. Anybody know the name of that nation? With a very evil king and a powerful king, at least part of his life was that way. He was, even even the historians say, maybe he was a werewolf. And actually Daniel said he did become an animal for seven years. Remember that? And what was his name? Nebuchadnezzar. And the prophet is saying, you are sending the Chaldeans, that's another new word for the Babylonians, the king Nebuchadnezzar, you're using evil against your people. I don't understand that. So the first point here is he's at questioning God, and he's saying, how does this work? God. Maybe you and I have complaints that we make to God, like along the same lines. Why is there evil in the world? Why does a child die in its youth? Why is there the pain? 
Why would there be a nuclear war? Why, if you made the world good, why is it so bad? I'm saying it to you, God. My complaint is to God. That's the first chapter here. Let's notice some of it. Chapter 1, verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity, cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. There are they that rise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment does never go forth. For the wicked compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceeds. Maybe we're getting a little feeling of that in our country. Maybe we are also sometimes disappointed with the leadership and judgments that are made. Maybe in history you go back to the time of the Nazis in Germany and what they did and how powerful they were and how at the end of the end of their regime maybe 60 million people dead civilians genocide with the Jews and the gypsies and the Polish people yeah, world war and so on why god this is like habakkuk sent question to god and we all know that when we approach god on these terms it's very very uh very kind of dicey kind of like maybe not good thin ice i know i should be humble but i've got to be honest there are times when i just don't understand the pain is too great. The question is too strong and real. And I don't know what to do about it. So he says in the first chapter here, in verse, um, let's see, verse 12 is where he starts to describe the dilemma. Are thou not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them for judgment, and Almighty God, you have established them for correction. You are a pure eyes, and to behold evil, and cannot look on iniquity. Why? Why, God? This is the question. Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest your tongue when the wicked devour the man that is more righteous than he? like Cain killing Abel, and many of the murders in the Bible. Many of the murders were unjust, namely Christ, murdered, killed by the wicked. So that's the first point. So that's chapter 1. I think you you may have followed that with me. I think so. We'll go to point number 2. One is, Complaint to God. And I think uh, there's a lot to say about it. Point two and then point three. Point two actually goes along with chapter two. And this is what does Habakkuk do? But he gets quiet. He gets quiet to hear. When you have a complaint to God and you make your complaint, then get quiet because you need help. You need the guidance. You need another voice, not your own. You need God, God's heart, God's mind. We need to work on that as people. You know, there are people that do get upset and get angry and they go and they rant and they rave and it doesn't help them. They just get louder and louder or more and more frustrated and they cannot hear. They kind of cut it off. They cannot hear the other language. They can't hear. They're not skillful in the word. They may have milk, 
Like, I believe in Jesus, I believe in you, but I don't know why Jesus would allow this. You know, that's an understandable way of thinking. Well, the answer is here, chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand upon my watch. Now, this means... Uh, I, I, uh, in the ancient world, they had the towers and the walls, and they had watchmen. Watchmen for funny things, uh, thieves and uh, strange things that can happen at night, uh, maybe wild animals or wild people. I, he stood upon his watch, set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me. He will watch and see what God will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Meaning, God will answer me, and as he corrects me, it sounds like Habakkuk already knows that he will be corrected by God. And then what will I answer him? I think as counselors, we have to be very sensitive to the fact that some people are hurt and troubled very much. And they do need to calm down and get quiet. And you say, I, I don't know, I haven't heard the word yet, but I believe there is a word for me. I haven't heard it, but I believe it's there. I want to get in a place where I can hear. And maybe just put me aside and just say, I don't understand. But I can wait on him. Verse 2, and the Lord answered me. Thank you, Lord. He didn't get upset with me, so he, sh he stopped talking. But because I had my problem, but I listened and I waited, he answered me. And he said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables, like tablets, clay tablets, that he may run that reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. I want to put down here, he answers, and he also directs me to the whole idea of time. Like time. Time is a big part of life. When? When will that happen? When will I be vindicated? When will, will the millennium come? When is Christ coming? Remember, this is in the Old Testament. Christ hasn't come yet. When? When is Christ coming? When is the kingdom coming? When is the world changing? These are good questions. And God said to him, it's coming. The Chaldeans will be judged. That's coming. That's written here. He is writing about the vision of the future and what is coming. But I think behind the Chaldean story is something more, and that's what we all are looking for in our hearts, a better world. A world where there is no sorrow, no tears, no hospitals, no police stations, no cemeteries. A world where there's no disobedience, where there's no sin, and there's no need for law. There's only divine guidance in the kingdom with a language where the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and we're able to agree with him with all our hearts and say amen to him all the time. So we're coming up to a verse here that's very famous for us who know our New Testament. But let's read verse 3. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end, but at the end it shall speak and not lie, though it tarry. What's the word tarry mean? 
delay or wait. It seems like a long time, a year. It seems like a long time. A decade seems like a long... 70 years seems like a long time to human beings. It's very long. But God said, what? One year to him is like a thousand to us. He is on a different time frame. But he's saying it's coming. It will not wait. It's coming. The Chaldean Empire will be overrun by the Persian Empire. Persian Empire will be overrun by the Greek Empire. The Greek Empire will be overrun by the Roman Empire. And then the Roman Empire ultimately will be destroyed by the coming of Christ. And the little stone that smites the image will become a great mountain and fill the earth. That's Daniel 7 in chapter 7 and chapter 8. Learn that in your scripture. It's fantastic reading. Chapter 7 and 8 and also Daniel chapter 2. Okay. What does this mean now? Verse 4. God gives a word of advice. And, and this is at the very heart of the book. We're almost done. It says, His soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. And he's hinting to pride. He is saying pride will blind us. It's written in 1 Timothy 6. Pride is blinding. We have here a few verses. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. 1 Timothy 3.6. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. 1 John 2.16 A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Pride goes before destruction. When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. When you have a question like number one up on our list here, and then he answers you and he says, it's coming. The vision is real. There's a better world coming. Then he says, but be careful that you don't get blinded. By, the, by lifting up your own heart and questioning me. But humble yourself under my mighty hand. I will lift you up. I will show you. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. But the just shall live by his faith. That's how we got saved in Romans chapter 1. The just shall live by faith. That's how we grow in our sanctification in Hebrews ten thirty six. The just shall live by faith. And Hebrews ten uses the same verse. The just shall live by faith. I believe it's six times used in our New Testament. The just shall live by faith. Do we say Pastor Mati was our guest last week and in one of his messages, he said he was a missionary in Uzbekistan. He tells a story, and he says, I hated it there. I hated the smells, uh, the village life. I hated uh, the way it was. I hated I couldn't find a place to live. I moved in with a family, and it was like my, live, my bedroom was Grand Central Station. Uh, The young people met there. People were in and out of the house. And he just said, I wanted to get out of the country. And then he said, God, then God spoke to him. And he said, you stay. I am with you. And then he said that God put love in his heart for the Uzbek people. And he lived there, I think, six years. He stayed there. And it was like a revival happened 
It worked. God did it. God ministered to people. How did he do it? By faith. That just should live by faith. But we could also say that the wicked make excuses and also are disappointed with the plan. I'm disappointed, God, with the plan that you have. Point number one, I'm disappointed. And then God says, but if you can wait, if you can anticipate me, you will run. Write the vision, and those that read it will run. For the just shall live by faith. The value of our faith. How do you get off of drugs? I mean, you know, addicted, addicted to street drugs and so on. And I'm not, I'm not saying if you have prescriptions to get off them, I'm not saying that. You got to talk to your doctor about it. I don't want to, I don't know about that at all. But I know how do you get off of bad habits? How do you change your life? By faith. How do you make good decisions about stuff? It's by learning the language, that other language, and being guided by God. God will guide you. God will help you. <coughs> Excuse me. God will lead you. God will, will show you. And then the third and last thing is what, where it's going. Look at chapter 3 and verse 17, 18, and 19. I don't think we could have a better text for this. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail. The field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there'll be no herd in the stalls. That's like a agricultural disaster. Husbandry, farming, it's all no nothing good happening. It's all cut off. It's all nothing good is happening. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Verse eighteen. I will joy in the God of my salvation. How do we explain this? Isn't it interesting? On one hand, my life is a dis- is destroyed. On the other hand, I don't see it that way. I-, I see it a different way. How can that be? How can that be that that the Chaldeans are coming, but the just shall live by faith will be able to handle it? Because our God, our God is with us. Amen. Our God, He is He is there. He is here. He is guiding us. He is with us. Verse uh, 19. Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like Heinz feet. And you've seen on the, on the videos these uh, mountain goats and mountain sheep, the big horned and of all different species in the mountains that are just right on the edge uh, hanging there, just right there with their toes locked in, and they're just able to move on a, a cliffside. Like even on the dam of a, of a dam, I, I've seen that on the, on the video because I am fascinated by this, this ability that they have, and we are like that. That we are living by faith in a world that is very troubled, that we don't fully understand, but it's enough. Because we have a language here, and we become skillful with meat, and we're able to navigate in a world that really contradicts our world. But we're able to navigate in it and make good decisions about things. Not perfectly, but at least anyway, we have guidance. Psalm 25, we have guidance. We can navigate, we can maneuver in the world. And Habakkuk is saying this. Number one, I got a problem, God. Number two, God is answering me and he's telling me the just shall live by faith. 
And if I got the vision, I got the word, I can run. And I can trust you. Thirdly, if there is no fruit, I will rejoice in you. If the fruit, fruit isn't there, if the herd in the stalls is cut off, if there's no, no agriculture, no fruit, no, uh, I've got God, my counselor, my living God, the one that cares about me, who will carry me and make me fruitful in a difficult world. That's what it's about. That's what he's saying. And uh, uh, we need it. Yeah. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? I think just for a tip, chapter 3, 17, 18, and 19, be a good memory portion for you. Tuck it away. Write it on an index card. Have it on the dash of your car. When you're at the stoplight, maybe you can read it again. Do it through the week. Think about it and kind of process this little book and uh, enjoy it. Yes. If you're, you're here today and you haven't yet made a decision to believe in Christ, all good things come by decision-making in the adult life. Not just like if it will happen, it will happen. But God is inviting you. He doesn't intrude in that way. He's not bossy. He's like a dove. He's a, a gentle bird. Uh, he's the Lamb of God. He's knocking on the door of your heart and saying, Open your heart to me. I will save you. I am your Savior. And just trust me. That's all. And say in your heart, Lord Jesus Christ, I put my trust in you. Save me. And you will. God bless you. Share it with somebody. Come back. Listen to more. Learn the language. And become skillful in the word of righteousness. God is your father. He cares about you. Repent from your sin. Turn away from it and be filled with the spirit. That's That's the great blessing of our new life. To be filled with the Holy Spirit and comforted and led by him in his name. Amen.